What's going on, everybody? Welcome into a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris. Glad to be with you this evening. We've got plenty for you. We're going to hear from Nick Casario, our exclusive one-on-one that we do each and every week with Nick. We'll have that for you a little bit uh, later in this segment. But let me tell you what else is on the show. DB Series is going to go behind enemy sidelines with Marcel Louis-Jacques, who covers the Miami Dolphins for ESPN.com. We'll have a little bit of In the Lab with myself and Drew Dory talking about rookies not named Davis Mills. Then it's Men Behind the Mics. Mark Vandermeer catches up with a good friend of his from Miami, Joe Rose, color analyst for the Miami Dolphins. And then a little bit of Wednesday, Where Are They Now? With a good friend of mine, good friend of Drew Doherty's, Joel Dreesen just went into the Colorado State Hall of Fame. That was very, very cool for Joel to go into that Hall of Fame. Very proud of what he was able to do with the Rams, with the Texans, the Rams, Colorado State Rams, the Texans, the Broncos, and now he's in the Hall of Fame. He's a great guy. So we'll catch up with him, and then we'll go around the NFL to finish up. But as I mentioned, we're going to kick off the show with our exclusive one-on-one with Nick Casario, general manager of your Houston Texans, and he gives you, well, a little bit of cryptocurrency advice. Take a listen. Joining us right now on Texans Radio, it's Texans General Manager Nick Casario. Nick, thanks so much for joining us. As always, we appreciate it. So the trade deadline come and gone, and I know a lot of activity leading up to it, probably a lot of conversations. The things we don't see, that's got to be really interesting. I know you can't get into that, but you did make some moves in the last week. Yeah, we did, and it's a good point that you brought up. There was actually some trades that almost came to fruition kind of within the last 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. So we were having discussions with a team, and we had kind of agreed this isn't specific to Deshaun's situation, right. but this was another situation that came up. We were discussing a player. We had parameters in place, and we sort of had agreed on the trade, and they came back and said, oh, actually, we've had a change in personnel. The player's injured, so we're going to keep the player. Okay, no problem. So, again, yeah. like those are some of the things, to your point, Mark, that happen. Uh, so, we again, we probably talked to – the majority of the league, not every team, but pretty close, just mm-hmm. about different players and their availability and who may may or may not be available. Um, we executed a few trades over the past few weeks with the Ingram trade and the amount of who trade here yesterday. So that's kind of where we are here for today. So I think there's sometimes a lot of bluster around the trade deadline. Um, <laughs> right. everybody, and not as much as the draft, John's favorite, but yeah. there's a, l- a lot of discussion about it. And in the end, there was, I want to say, four or five transactions that took place yesterday. Nick, you brought up something in your press conference that I thought was interesting. You said – that you and your personnel staff, some, somebody tries to make contact with everybody throughout the league just to have a, a conversation. And I thought it was interesting. Can you expand upon that about what just knowledge you're looking for, just information you're trying to take in, and the fact that you do talk to every single team in the league? Yeah, it's a great question. When you're evaluating a team, so when you're watching a team, you're obviously creating a inventory of players and strengths, weaknesses, and in the back of your mind, well, is this player available? I wonder if he's available. So – what we try to do is just and, – and we'll communicate with anybody. This isn't, well, specific to the NFC. Like, we'll talk to every team. Mm-hmm. I've actually had a couple conversations with Trent Balky down in Jacksonville at different points as well. I think sometimes there's always that belief, well, you'll never do anything inside the division right. and that whole – like, we're pretty open-minded. We're pretty flexible. And if there's something that we can do that we feel can help our team, regardless of who the opposition is, then then we'll pursue. So – a lot of it is information gathering and you're just trying to put something in place and you might trigger something and say, hey, you know what, this probably might be available or 
they just acquired this player or they just added this player through waivers. Maybe this player is available. This player is an expiring contract. Maybe it's something they're trying to move on from now. Is it somebody that can help your team? So a lot of it is just accumulating information and making a decision. All right, there's somebody or something that yeah. we can do relative to your team that might be able to help in some capacity. Well, you mentioned with Deshaun, no deal, and you go day-to-day with this. So moving on into the rest of the season, you mentioned every week you're just going to approach it, best chance to win, do whatever it takes to get that win. It's almost like every week's a bowl game for you because no matter what the record is, you're trying to get that done, and no matter who's on the roster. That's the truth, Mark. That's the way the NFL is designed. I'd say the the unique thing about the NFL, you have this year 17 opportunities. You have one opportunity 17 weeks or 18 weeks to go out there and perform to the best of your ability. This isn't like other sports where there's a more a volume of game. Like if you win two out of three series in baseball, you're going to be thrilled. I mean, you're going to be happy about how that how that went. Basketball plays 82 games or however many games. We have 17 chances to go out there each week. So it just magnifies the importance of doing everything you can possibly that week to prepare. And regardless of the circumstance or what happened the previous week, you can't spend too much time on it, good or bad, because in a lot of respects, it's not going to have a lot of bearing on what happens that following week. How difficult, Nick, is it to take your personal emotion out of any particular deal or move or anything that you make? And I think about Mark Ingram, because you talked about it at the, at the podium, about how the tough that was because of what he meant to the team but it was the Saints that called. And so your emotion probably says, man, I really want him to be a Texan, but, man, the Saints, how difficult is it to take emotion out of the whole deal? It's, it's a great point. I think you have to take emotion out of a lot of decision-making. You have to be very rational. You have to be very thoughtful. You have to be very pragmatic and just go through your decision-making pro- uh, process and arrive at an endpoint, whatever that is. So in Mark's situation, I think the, the great thing about that we were very honest with him yeah. about the circumstance. David had reached out to him kind of the night before. They had a conversation. We met the following day, and we just talked face-to-face. And we've talked about this at different points throughout the year. Football, it's played on the field, but it's still a people business. So the best thing you can do is just be honest and be very forthright and communicate transparently and provide the information where you see fit. And Mark's an unbelievable human being. He's been a great player for a long time. He's been a great player for their franchise, for the Saints for a long time. In the end, would we have rather had Mark continue with us? I mean, probably. But the way it worked out, I think it was the right thing for everybody involved. You were asked about Davis during your press conference, and how difficult is it to evaluate what he can and can't do when you are struggling running the football and some of the other issues on offense? You have injuries on the O-line and that sort of thing. Yeah, you have to just look at the individual player and his performance and some of the mm-hmm. things maybe that he can control, some of the skills that are specific to the quarterback position. So the quarterback, every player on the field depends on another person around them. So the offensive line can't do no, – they're dependent on the guy next to them. So the guard and center, they need each other in the double teams. The quarterback – you have to make sure the tight end does the right thing and a receiver can't do his job unless, you know, you know, everybody has to do their job and everybody has a responsibility. So you focus on your individual skill. What have you done? Did you do the right thing on the play? Did you make the right decision? And we were able to execute it from a physical standpoint. And there's examples of, I would say, specifically him 
doing that. And there are other examples where, quite frankly, that hadn't been the case. You know, the interceptions is a play that he would probably want to have back. I mean, it wasn't sound football, it wasn't a good decision, and that's something hopefully if you get in a situation like that, the next time you make the right decision. Nate, the mechanics of moving Charles to the 49ers, what does that mean for you guys? What does that mean for him going forward? Yeah, it's it'll be a good opportunity for him. You know, he's a player that had some front flex six to kind of three. Um, you know, we've been playing a number of different players at that position, so it's just going to present more opportunities for some other players. Um, you know, Charles is going to a good system, a good defense. Um, I think his what he does will fit them, you know, fairly well, and they were interested. I would say there was actually some other interest in him, you know, from some other teams as well. So, you know, that's going to your question earlier, Mark. You just kind of sort through everything and just try to take the information and ultimately make the decision that you feel makes the most sense. When you see players around the league, you evaluate everybody who's draftable, so you have whatever grade you have. So – how do you track what they do through their career with another team so you can see if you got it right or not? Were we right on this guy or wrong, even though you didn't pick him? No, it's a great question. So I would say even actually something we're doing here this year. So we have a uh, rookie production chart that we, um, you know, our people in our technology department put together so you can kind of see, all right, who's playing, who's doing what, what's their level of performance, and then look at the second year. So if go from their rookie year to their second year, how are they playing, how are they performing? And then you go back and you can always look at the players that were on your team and your program, kind of evaluate their performance and just see, okay, maybe it was a system fit. Maybe this was better. This player performed better. or Maybe this player hadn't done as well. What's the reason why? Or So there's a lot of things that go into that. Um, mm -hmm. Actually, just looking at the rookie production chart this morning, kind of going through it. I mean, I think Roy has, like, the second most play time of any defensive tackle in the league. Um, so, you know, he's gone in there and kind of held his own. Um, Garrett's got, like, 65-ish percent play time in a kicking game. So most linebackers, a fair amount of linebackers, and this 65 to 70 percent special teams play time. Um, you know, Davis, we've talked about him a little bit. I mean, I think he's, like, second in MAC, the completion percentage. And, you know, some of the other numbers or metrics are comparable relative to the rest of the quarterbacks. And, you know, Nico's probably – his production has been affected by just his availability. So, but it's something that's important because it's a great point, Mark. So you evaluate, you put all this time into it, grade the player, they get drafted, okay, they're on the other team. Okay, how are they doing? And if you just wait until the next time you play that team, might be three or four years. So right. if you want to be able to kind of track your performance as a, as a staff, okay, we had this player here, here's what we thought. Okay, here's what it looks like. All right, well, maybe we missed this. Let's go back and evaluate us. So it's a constant evaluation of not only the player but maybe some of the things that we're doing and if we can find a way to enhance that then we'll look at that mm -hmm. Nick along those lines those guys that you mentioned you mentioned Garrett Davis Nico those guys have all been on the field for I don't know, seven eight weeks Brevin gets on the field for the first time on Sunday what it, first of all what do you think of what he did in week one and what was it that he was doing that led him to get on the field in week eight yeah, it's a good question. I'd say he's made some progress in practice. So a lot of it is practice execution equals game reality. So you're not going to – if you don't do something in practice, you're not all of a sudden like magically going to wave some dust and then you're going right. to do it on, on, on Sunday. Yeah. So he's practiced well and performed well, and he was put in a situation – I mean, Farrell wasn't active, so that, I think that was a part of it too. Yeah. So Farrell wasn't active, so we've been taking three tight ends of the game. So he took Brevin in the game, and he took advantage of some of the opportunities that were presented. Now the big thing will be, all right, moving forward – are, do we see a consistent level of performance, or do you, is there some yeah. variability in, in the player's play? Right. Well, you said in the press conference not all players in this league are equally committed, right? And that's probably pretty obvious. But I wanted to ask you about that because if you can determine if a player is fully committed coming out or wherever the case, wherever he is in his career, 
and the ability might be, eh, you know, not 100% potential upside, but the commitment is there. How do you evaluate that, and how valuable is that to you as an organization? It's the $25 million question. Mm-hmm. So if they have the traits and the characteristics that are requisite to becoming a successful player, right. they still they have to have a certain level of skill that they can yeah. actually go out there and perform their job. So if a player is coachable, if a player will work hard, if a player will improve and he'll make a commitment to being a great player and then combine that with a skill improvement, a certain level of skill and continual skill improvement, then he has an opportunity to become a good player. And then when you have – as many players like that as possible on your team, then it's a collective effort. So that just enhances the overall performance and the ability of your team. So that's ultimately what you're trying to do when you build your team is just to identify those players with those traits or characteristics. And it could shrink the pool of players because you might eliminate some players. Mm -hmm. And if that's what your philosophy or belief is, then you have to be true to that and stick to it. I'm fascinated when you talk about the only TV I watch is CNBC. It's the only thing I watch, or whatever it is that you watch. By the way, were you at Minute Maid Park last night? No, I, mean, I, I just know. okay. Of course. Anyways, <laughs> just checking. Yeah, lost his voice. When you yelling. stand, when you stand at the podium, you know everything that went on with the Phoenix Suns. You know exactly what happened with the Houston Astros. How much do other sports leagues and what other teams do? How much are you following that and then taking mental notes of? Wait a second. I think we could apply that, or I think I like the way they did this. How have you been able to kind of track all of that and then bring it into what you do on a daily basis? It's a good question. I think it's really more of an appetite for learning and curious and curiosity and seeing you're never going to paint everything with a broad brush and say, okay, this situation is exactly like the Houston Texans. No situation is alike. Right. You can look at some of the elements and some of the things that they had to endure and say, okay, what were maybe some things that had happened? What did they get right? What did they get wrong? Okay, how did they fix this problem? This took a little bit longer. Okay, they allocated time and resources to this. So you're just processing a lot of information. I think it's just more of an insatiable desire to learn and try to grow and improve. And if there's elements that you can take and apply them to your situation, again, this is specific to the Houston Texans about what we're trying to do, yeah. but it could be said XYZ Corporation where you're basically trying to – start a program or put something newer in place what cryptocurrency do you recommend nick i'm just kidding coinbase <laughs> okay <laughs> he's I'm got not, the answers it's not about individual it's not about ether solana <laughs> bitcoin just getting coinbase into the game. gives you kind of an opportunity to exposure to the exchange where all of them trade so tom gave that guy a we're gonna bitcoin. have another podcast about <laughs> yeah, it, yeah we are so tom gave that guy a bitcoin for the football was that a good move Tom is very smart with about everything he does. So that might have been the company that endorses that. or that he endorses or yeah, whatever. Maybe, I don't know. Nick, thanks so much for joining us. Best of luck this week. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, imagine that. General manager knows a little bit about Bitcoin, Coinbase. Yeah, smart dude. I know there's some out there that, that poke fun at that, put that on social media today, but that's okay. I like having a smart GM. I like being in that room with him every single time we have a chance to catch up with Nick Casario. All right, we got a little bit of news that we'll hit in the second segment, but we're also going to go behind enemy sidelines with Marcel Louis-Jacques of ESPN.com covers the Dolphins. That's next on Texas All Access. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. And if you're a teacher out there like I used to be, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, Algebra 1, Algebra 2, Pre-Calc, 
calculus, calculus BC. Yeah, I used to look for any little help I could find out there. Well, ConocoPhillips has got all of you teachers covered with Toro's math drills. If you teach third and fourth grade math, heck, if you teach ninth, tenth grade math, you need Toro's math drills. You bring a little bit of Texas football to your classroom, your kids will absolutely love it. Check out HoustonTexas.com slash Toro's math drills to learn more. Like I said, welcome back. It's time to go behind enemy sidelines with DP Sidhu. And this week, it's Marcel Louis Jacques, ESPN.com. He's been covering the Dolphins for a while, knows them in and out. DP, take it away. It's Enemy Sidelines presented by Microsoft. My guest this week, Marcel Louis Jacques. He is the Miami Dolphins reporter for ESPN NFL Nation. Marcel, so glad to have you on this week. It's been a crazy week. The NFL deadline has come and gone. And I think these are the two teams that are kind of relieved it's over, even though the outcome may not be what everybody wanted. So I know the GM there for the Dolphins spoke today. What can you tell us about the trade from that side of the building? Yeah, Greer did not directly mention Deshaun Watson's name. I'm not sure if he's allowed to or not, but he was directly asked about the possibility of trading for Watson. And he said that, I mean, anytime a player who's considered one of the top at his position is available, that they're going to go for it. They're going to try to do their due diligence. They're going to do their homework on it, but that ultimately they decided as an organization that this is not something that they wanted to pursue at this time. Uh, He did say that they're going to finish out the rest of the season and then they'll evaluate the roster come this offseason. And so the way that I took it, the way that we took it in this room, is that the door is not closed yet. I, I think that we are basically in an intermission of what's been a really, really long and drawn out movie or play, whatever drama that we want to call this. And I think it's going to restart once again as soon as this season is over. Yeah. And, you know, I think the big question is for quarterback Tua Tungavailoa, where does that leave his status with the Dolphins and his future um, now that there was a lot of talk about a potential trade and now there isn't one? So where does that leave him now for the rest of the season and beyond? You know, you know, Chris Greer thought that this is not an indictment on Tua, that this is just a special scenario in which Again, one of the top players at his position became available. I don't know if that means they don't think Tua can become one of the top players at his position, but these next nine games are going to go a long way toward really trying to establish his ceiling. He's had kind of an unorthodox start to his career. He's coming back from that, uh, from the fractured hip as a rookie, coming back from fractured ribs this year. He's dealt with being benched in the fourth quarter for Ryan Fitzpatrick last year and then the Deshaun stuff all this year. So it's really been just kind of a unfair start to his career. But as he told us, I mean, life isn't fair. So he's, I think he's ready to move on. He's ready to put 100% of his focus into this team and into finishing as strong as they can. And I think the Dolphins will legitimately evaluate where they are come season's end. Yeah, and with Tua missing the, the the games with the rib injury, and now that he's back, what can you tell us about how he looks since he's returned and and how much of his performance this year could be placed on the quarterback's shoulders as opposed to other factors that go on uh, with the offense, O-line, et cetera. Well, he, he wasn't great, per se, against against Buffalo. Um, he did put them in position. I don't know if I want to say position to win, but he put them in a decent position to complete a comeback at the end of the game uh, before ultimately he threw a pretty tough interception kind of with his back against the wall. But those two games before that were the two best statistical games of his career, completing 75% of his passes. He had a six touchdown to three interception ratio. I, I thought he was playing great football. And, uh, you know, it, it, it does kind of bring the question about that, okay, 
here he is playing the best football of his career and they still were not able to beat the Jaguars or the Falcons. But that's not solely on his shoulders. This is also a defense that's ranked, you know, ranks in the bottom, we'll call it bottom fourth in the league in yards allowed per game, in scoring, in third down defense, in red zone defense. I mean, there's not really a lot that they're doing well on that side of the ball. And that's a massive concern because that was supposed to be this team's strength entering the season. So it's not just the quarterback issue. And that was really kind of the debate surrounding a, a possible trade for Deshaun Watson was does even a guy like that elevate this team into something that it's not? Because he played the best football of his career last season and the Texans were still four and 12. So I, I, I think that, uh, you know, Tua de- deserves his share of the blame for sure. He's thrown some pretty backbreaking interceptions over the past three weeks. He's still, you know, maybe not being as aggressive as he can at times or being too aggressive at times. So he's still figuring out that balance, but he has not been the most prevalent issue on this team. That is still their struggles on the defensive side of the ball and their struggles in pass blocking. I mean, they are, according to our, our pass block win rate, they're the worst pass blocking team in the NFL and they are not blitzed very often. So it, it's kind of, uh, there's a lot of things that I think they could use those picks to, to improve this team. And I think that Tua could be the guy who, who takes them to the next level once the pieces around him are settled. All right, lots to unpack there, but let, let's just talk about the record for a second. One and seven, much like the Texans, they've lost seven in a row. But last year after finishing 10 and six and, and narrowly missing the playoffs, a lot of people thought that the Dolphins were big contenders over there in the AFC East. So, you know, with Brian Flores building his team, it looked like things were headed in the right direction. After the start the team has had this year, uh, what's the reaction in Miami and around the building with the one and seven start and, and, and where the Dolphins season is headed so far this year? Well, if you ask players, I mean, most notably Mike Gusecki, he takes the stand right behind me every week and he tells us we are we are that close. We are almost there. We're right there. And to their credit, uh, I, I mean, the Bills game was ended up being a multiple score loss, but Falcons loss was a last possession game. The Jaguars loss was a last possession game. The Raiders early in the year last possession game when you look at some of these one score losses that they've had you can really boil it down to okay they they either turn the ball over in the red zone they weren't efficient at the end of the game they turned it on too late like they're full of it's not like they're you know they just got their butt kicked for four quarters and every single week so i i do think that they they think the pieces are there and that it just is going to take as brian told us today it's just going to take finding the right formula the way they tell us the way they talk to us this team still believes in its coach this coaching staff still believes in in its players. And, uh, you know, they do have a lot of games moving ahead here to try to kind of figure it out. You know, I don't want to go out and say, you know, they've got a bunch of get right opponents here because at one in seven, uh, there's no such thing as a get right opponent. You are the get right opponent, but they do have, they have the Texans coming up. They've got two games against the jets. They have a game against the giants against the Panthers as well. Like there are a lot of opportunities to write the ship coming up and really in situations like this, all it takes is one win to to get that mindset turned around. And I think that's what they're obviously looking for this weekend. All right. Well, the receiving core there has been banged up a bit. And a lot of Texans fans know all too well with Will Fuller um, how that goes. And it looks like, you know, the injury bug has, has bit him again. And as well as Devontae Parker missing some time. But the one bright spot for the receivers, Houston native Jalen Waddle leads this team with touchdowns. He's got three touchdowns. He leads them also in catches. Uh, what about his rookie campaign? Are you know, are you surprised at his ability to really step in as a rookie and and step in for some guys who have got some big names and, and done some things in their past? And and what do you like so far about the rookie wide receiver? 
Yeah, I don't know if if his um, success has come as a surprise. No, they traded up to to six to go grab him, and you don't do that unless you think a guy can be an instant impact type of player for you. He's undoubtedly been Miami's most reliable receiver, if for no other reason, and he's played every game. He's, he's been durable enough, and, and that's something this core has struggled with. Uh, I am a little surprised at his usage, however, not not the the target share, not the receptions, but the average yards per target and, and the depth per target. Uh, they're turning him in a kind of a, you know, three, four, five yard at a time receiver. I, I think he had, uh, you know, maybe 29, 30 yards last game. He He's had a game this year where, you know, 12 catches for 58 yards. That That's not that's not what I was expecting. I thought they would be able to stretch the field a little bit more with him and, uh, you know, really start to see that yards after catch uh, numbers start to grow and grow and grow by the week. But I don't think that's all his fault. I think uh, a lot of that is the situation. Will Fuller, as you said, hasn't been healthy majority of the season. Devontae Parker hasn't been healthy a lot of the season. They're really relying on those three guys on the field at the same time to throw that kind of versatile look at defenses. So, you know, until that happens, it's going to be tough to really judge his, his rookie season, you know, compared to what we thought it was going to be. But uh, I, I think, once again, he has been the most reliable receiver in this offense, and he's clearly going to be a big part of the game plan moving forward, whether it's near the line of scrimmage or hopefully eventually downfield. Yeah, another reliable target and very consistent tight end, Mike Gesicki. You mentioned him a little bit earlier. You know, with the the injuries at wide receiver, do you see the Dolphins incorporating him a little bit more in the offense? What are your thoughts on that? He's got 475 yards receiving, so when he is out there, he is so productive as, as a pass catcher. But do you see his role growing at all, especially with the consistency that he offers? And what makes him so tough to cover? Well, what makes him so tough to cover is he, he is such a speed mismatch and a size mismatch at the same time for for opposing linebackers and safeties one of those he's too quick for a linebacker to keep up with he's too big at six 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 seven to get bodied up by by a safety and uh, he's got a real eye for finding the soft spot in any zone or any defense you saw it last week fourth and six Tua hits him on a 40 yard pass downfield and that really helped extend uh, the Dolphins hopes in that game obviously they didn't win at the end of the day but that just shows you that they are looking for him in those critical moments. I don't know if his role is going to grow exponentially more than what it is right now. I know that, you know, one of Tua and one of Miami's big concerns here compared to early in the season is getting its playmakers going early on in games. And you saw it against the Bills. I think his first, Tua's first 10 passes, like five of them went to Devontae Parker, five of them went to Jalen Waddle. Those aren't numbers you'd like to hear if you maybe have Mike Gusecki in fantasy. But uh, I, I do think you could expect to see him be a part of their game plan across all four quarters, again, because of how much of a mismatch he is to opposing defenses. And it's a contract here, man. I think he wants to be involved because you want to get that biggest payday possible. And he's proven himself to be arguably their best offensive player, period, maybe even team MVP over the first eight games. All right, well, let's talk about that defense that you mentioned earlier. Xavier Howard, he made big news before the start of the season, wanting to get traded. Didn't get traded. He's still on this defense. And it seemed like not a lot changed from 2020 to 2021. So, you know, what do you attribute the struggles on defense to from last year to this year? Where has been the big drop-off? And, and how do you explain the fact that it's been underperforming compared to how, where they were last year? I think that the the most uh, you know when you, when you look at that defense last year they weren't really spectacular in terms of 
stopping their opponents from moving the ball downfield. They're middle of the pack in, in, in yards, passing yards, rushing yards allowed per game. Um, they were good at, you know, top 10 in, in points allowed per game. But where they really shine were in those crucial situations like third down and, and in the red zone. They were actually the, the best third down defense in the NFL last season. This year, that has completely flipped. They are actually the worst team in the NFL on third down this year. So, you know, their yards per game averages have bloomed a little bit. But again, that's kind of what they did last year. But now they're not stopping teams. They're not getting off the field on third down. They led the NFL in turnovers last year. They're not taking the ball away at a high rate this year. And, you know, that's kind of an unsustainable model to build your defense around. So until they start succeeding at the points of attack and in those critical situations, it's going to be hard for them to attain the level of play that they reached last season. Because like you said, I mean, there isn't a lot different. These are all the same guys back, more or less. You add a guy like Jalen Phillips. You add guys like, uh, you know, Jason McCourty. And uh, – you would think, okay, this is an improved defense. You got a defensive-minded head coach as well. Same coordinator for the back for back-to-back years. So uh, I think it's really just kind of focused around, like I said, those the critical scenarios, the third down, the red zone, and then taking the ball away that they really need to improve, or else, you know, the wheels are going to continue to fall off. All right, Marcel. I know it's a, a big week for both these teams as they try to get their season turnaround. But what are some of the stories that you're working on? Yeah, well, I'm actually I've got a big picture story on the past five, six drafts that the Dolphins have put together. See, you know how these players ha- have panned out. It was obviously a major storyline. They're like the Sixers of the NFL as in terms of acquiring draft picks. The Sixers, you know, haven't made it all the way work yet, but they've reached the Eastern Conference Finals. The Dolphins have not been quite as successful doing that tank model. So I want to kind of evaluate what went wrong. I want to evaluate where this team's direction is now that Tua Tungo-Vailoa is actually the quarterback. And we can actually believe what we're being told instead of whatever smoke screens are being thrown out. So, uh, you know, looking forward to that. And then just looking forward to getting into some Houston uh, actual film study. It feels like, uh, you know, we haven't been able to focus just on the football for the past couple of weeks. And I know you guys down there are, are probably in somewhat of the same boat. So it'll be nice to just get on that tape and see what we're expecting on Sunday. I had a couple guys, Jerome Baker, Christian Wilkins. The first thing they thought of when asked about this Houston offense is the team speed, especially in that backfield. So looking forward to seeing that pop on tape and seeing if the Dolphins have the kind of horses to cover them. All right. Well, looking forward to it, Marcel. Appreciate the time. Glad the trade deadline's behind us. We can focus on football again. Appreciate it as always. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Wonderful stuff there from Marcel Louis-Jacques of the of ESPN.com who covers the Dolphins there in Miami for the worldwide leader. All right, we get back. We'll go in the lab talking about rookies not named Davis Mills next right here on Texans All Access. Boy, it's usually about this time of the show when I start getting hungry and I start thinking about burgers And that means I'm thinking about Freddy's Frozen Custard and Steak Burgers. Freddy's is all about the good and creating more of it. More drive-through celebrations, more road trips around the block, more family dinners and lunches, more car picnics and desserts, maybe even more second desserts. Now, I've never done the two-dessert thing, but I have done the cheese curds with a turtle concrete and don't feel bad about it. More being together as much as we can with 17 area locations in the Houston area, Freddy's keeps the good going with the taste that brings you 
back. And now I'm even more hungry. I have to wait because we still got radio to do. But it's time for a little bit of In the Lab with a guy that I know would join me at Freddy's in a quick second, and that's Drew Doherty. This week on In the Lab, we decided to talk about rookies not named Davis Mills. Here we go. Let's talk about the rookies who are not named Davis Mills on this team. So it's a group that's actually gotten quite a bit of playing time for the most part in a lot of spots, and we saw one of them get playing time for the first time this last Sunday in Brevin Jordan. But let's begin with Nico Collins, who over the last four games, because he missed a little chunk there after after Cleveland, and if you yeah. throw in the Cleveland game, he's had a reception of like 18 to 20-plus yards or more, at least in, in all of those games, it seems, maybe with one exception. But he had a pretty solid output on Sunday, and he was one of the few guys that really didn't catch any passes in the fourth quarter. He was kind of one of the – I don't, you can't say a bright spot when you're getting you know, <laughs> your head caved in, 38 yeah. nothing. but of course. he had a long reception. He had a few other targets, and he was targeted four times. He caught all of them. What's he doing well in your estimation, and what's he working on? Because he was targeted four times, but is he just not getting open to to not get targeted more? Is it a combination of Davis Mills just being a little bit inexperienced and able to find him? Is it kind of all of that? But I've just at at a superficial glance been impressed with what I've seen from Nico Nico Collins. What have you thought about him? Yeah, I, I agree with you, Drew. I, I think he's been really impressive and. Yeah, I think the other day, I think there are some things. There are a lot of things that are eh, wrong is not the, the right, not the correct word. But just for Nico, look, he, he's a rookie. He's, he just is now hitting the halfway point of his rookie year. And like you said, I think he missed, what, three, three weeks yeah. you know, dealing with the shoulder issue. But he and and on top of that, he missed all of 2020 opting out because of the COVID issues. And I'll be honest, it wasn't so much an opt-out as it was a force-out, really, because of the way the Big Ten yeah. handled the whole COVID issue, to be honest. Nico wanted to go back, but the, but the Big Ten handled it so poorly that he, that he wasn't able to. So, terrible like guy that hasn't really played a lot of football since 2019, where I, I felt like he was really getting and hitting his stride. So, you throw all that in, still shaking off rust, learning the NFL game, and he's got a rookie quarterback. And all of that combined, I think, I don't say it doesn't add to the, to the issues because I don't, I don't really say they're issues, but it adds to the, to the growing pains of being an NFL wide receiver. And I think he's really adapted very well. I think for Davis, when, I don't want to, when things get tough, I guess is the right way of saying, or it's a key situation, he's going to look to Brandon Cooks. And I don't have any problems with that. Yeah, I mean, you should. I, I mean, the guy's a Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl caliber yeah. receiver. Yeah, there's absolutely nobody's going to quit. But Tim Kelly and his offensive staff are drawing things up for Nico. He's making big, big plays across the middle. I think that's what people wanted to see. I think the one thing with Nico we really haven't seen just yet, and that's the the deep ball. He has got much better speed than people think, mm-hmm. And he can go pick it off the top of a DB's head. Now, that, that part, he really hasn't had a chance to really um, to do, which is something he did at, at Michigan. Now, there are a couple of factors in that. Uh, teams are not 
struggling to stop the Texans run so they can put two guys on the roof, essentially play some sort of quarters or half coverage and, and keep that deep ball from happening. So what happens is you throw the glance route, you throw the dig routes, the routes that, that break inside and underneath those guys. And that's what Nico has been catching. So if you get more post safety coverage with a single safety in the middle and cover three or cover one, that might be more opportunity for Nico to go down a field, but the Texans just aren't seeing that because they're not demanding it from a defense by running the ball better. So I think that's a part of Nico's game that will get better once teams start to respect the run a little bit more and say, look, we can't sit here in too high or we can't sit here in uh, you know middle of the field open coverages because, man, we got to put a safety down in the box and stop that run game. And that's just not – Texans aren't drawing that out to allow the receivers – to get man-to-man on the outside, to get single safety coverage where they can go outside the numbers and do some stuff, in particular Nico Collins. Yeah, and then Brevin Jordan, he played a quarter of the snaps exactly, exactly a quarter of the snaps on Sunday. First time he'd been active, it's pretty darn clear that guy needs to play some more. He needs He's he's not going to be inactive much longer unless something pops up. That guy's got a spot. That guy can play. I was very enthused by what I saw from, from Brevin Jordan in very limited time. And he was, he was one of those guys that kind of, he came to life there in that fourth quarter win. Yes, we know, we know the starters were out for the most part. You didn't see, (laughs) yeah, Yeah, we know, I know, but he looked good and he played well against the people who were out there. I was very, very enthused by what I saw. I can't wait to see more of it. What did you, what was your kind of first takeaway after, you know, the, the dust settled Sunday uh, against the Rams? The, my first thought was the way they handled Brevin Jordan, the Texans, I thought was probably the exact right way of doing it. I mean, he was one of the toys I opened for Christmas in some sense and wanted to, to really go out and play with that toy all day long because he's got twitch. He's got the size. He's got the hands. But, you know, look, Brevin played at Bishop Gorman High School, one of the greatest high schools in the country, then went to Miami. You know, everything was real easy for him. And you could tell there were some rough spots that he kind of had to smooth out before he really could get on the field. But then when he did get on the field, he was ready to go. And look, you can't walk over to to Raheem Morris and say, no, hey, Raheem Morris, defensive coordinator of the Rams, leave your first defense out there. I mean, you can't do that. You just got to go make plays against who's out there. And, And Brevin did that. I mean, the touchdown catch is outstanding. You know, the third, his third catch and last catch, um, you know, is down the seam, catches it with his hand with a DB on him. And I think he's got much better things ahead. You know this as well as, I, as any, Drew. I had him number 37 in my Harris 100. Yeah. And I stood, I stood by it. I felt like when I watched him, I, I, could, I could put on his film and I would, I would sit with anybody. I don't care who it is. And I could point out, this guy needs to be playing in our league. And he is one of the better players in this draft. But I do think there were some rough spots that he had to kind of smooth out and kind of get used to being in NFL locker room, not being the alpha dog, and then working your way from the bottom. You know, as Drake says, started from the bottom, and hopefully he gets to where Drake is in the music game. He does that as a tight end, and I think good things are ahead. And when you think about it, with a team that's one and seven and struggling a little bit, where do you find hope? You find hope in young yeah. players. It's guys like those two. Guys yeah. like Jonathan Grenard, who's been ripping yes, it up, who we've absolutely. talked about quite a bit. Also, guys like someone we, you and I, like the day after he was drafted, really the day he was drafted, the more we talked about him, the more we found out about him, 
we both kind of called it early on. Like Roy Lopez, we said that guy's got a really good chance of coming in yep. and contributing and doing so for a long time. And it looks like he's on that path. Now we also put the caveat out there. Like don't expect 15 sacks. <laughs> yeah. 40 tackles for loss per year because he plays a position that basically you chew up double teams and you help your other guys around you yeah. uh, get one-on-one matchups. He's done that and he's added a little bit extra to it as well. Now it's been a struggle all year long, but the defensive line for the most part has played better than average or better yeah. than, you know, the rest of the defense. And he's been a big part of that. And he's come in as a rookie, a late, late round pick and really, He's he's excelled or exceeded um, kind of what was expected if you look at where he was drafted, uh, and it's been fun to see that. And he's a fun guy to cover. He's he's got yeah. a great personality. He's played well, and I've I've really liked seeing what he's done out there. You're exactly right, Drew. I mean, you and I the day after you were drafted, we kept texting each other like, "Hey, you know this guy's dad's a coach. Hey, yeah. you know this guy's a wrestler. Yep. Uh, hey, you know this guy's got thighs the size of Waxahachie. I mean, like." <laughs> He's he's really impressive. And here's the thing. If, if you know, going back to the concept of being one and seven, and not that I want to harp on the record, obviously, but if you said, okay, your team's going to be one and seven through eight games, almost halfway through, but you had some bright spots, where would you want it to be? And my immediate reaction would be on the lines. Well, the offensive line has been too banged up to even think about. Yeah. But the defensive line has really been about as impressive as, as you could really hope. And that's after J.J. Watt was moved on, after J.J. Watt moved on to the Arizona yeah. Cardinals. So John Grenard stepping up. You know, Jacob Martin, I think, has played some really good football. We've yeah. seen Demarcus Walker make some plays uh-huh. um, on, this, on this defensive line. Malik and then Collins. you've got Roy. Yeah. Malik, yeah, Collins. yeah. Malik Collins has done some amazing – I mean – Malik and Roy on that safety. There wasn't a lot made of that. I did tell Strader <laughs> on that particular play. And I watched Jacob, but then I'm like, okay, well, what about the other things? You know, it's a zone read. So, okay, did they take away the zone? Oh, my God. Malik <laughs> Collins just destroyed the guard. Roy Lopez took on a double team such that he slipped one block and then took the other guy on and, and was basically holding him up. So there was no way they could run it because those two guys were stuffing it. So you're seeing the things on the defensive line that you'd like to be able to see. So there you go, a little snippet. You want to hear the rest, go to HoustonTexas.com. You can hear the full podcast in the lab. Definitely go check that out. Some good things coming from Nico Collins, Brevin Jordan, Roy Lopez, Garrett Wallow, and, of course, Davis Mills at quarterback. All right, we get back. We're going to go men behind the mics. Now, typically, it's Mark Vandermeer with the voice of the opponent. But this week, it's going to be Mark Vandermeer with one of his good friends who just happens to be the game analyst for the Miami Dolphins, Joe Rose, and a former Dolphin himself. We'll have men behind the mics next right here on Texans All Access. Access. We got one hour down and one hour left to go right here on a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. We didn't do this in the first hour, so let's hit this. A little bit of injury report news before we get to our men behind the mics. Today, back at practice, Tyrod Taylor yet again for the second week. Now, we'll see if the team does make him active or activates him onto the 53-man roster. They did not do that last week. We'll see if that happens. But today at practice, Farrell Brown 
Brandon Cooks, Danny Amendola, Christian Kirksey, Kevin Pierre-Lewis. Those five missed, did not participate. Danny Amendola, Brandon Cooks, not injury-related. So my hope is those were rest days for those two guys. And in your limited, Rex Burkhead, Chris Conley, Jacob Martin, Justin McCray, Hardy Nickerson, who was put on a 53-man roster officially with a transaction today. The Dolphins, Tua Tungavailoa, was limited dealing with ribs and a left finger. Now remember, left means a lot because he's left-handed. So left finger, I was throwing hand, full participants, former Texan Greg Mance and Jalen Phillips. So Wednesday injury report, we've seen a lot of injury reports over the years. Not that it tells you everything, but it tells you something. I think the biggest news was that Tyrod Taylor back again at practice as Nick Casario said he would be and as David Culley said he would be. And now we'll see what that means for Sunday, whether Tyrod's going to be the guy starting or it'll be back to Davis Mills. We will find out very, very soon. Now, let's learn a little bit about the Dolphins with our men behind the mics. Mark Vandermeer caught up with a good friend of his, game analyst for the Dolphins, Joe Rose, former tight end who caught a couple of touchdowns in one of the greatest NFL games ever played, the 81 Divisional Playoff round, where the Dolphins lost 41-38 to Kent Winslow and the San Diego Superchargers. Here's Joe Rose with our good friend, Mark Vandermeer. Mark, take it away. Joining us right now on Texans Radio, it is an old friend of mine, played for the Dolphins, does morning drive on WQAM in Miami, and color commentary for the Dolphins Radio Network, Joe Rose. Joe, great to have you with us. How's it going, my friend? Mark, I'm doing great, and I wish our two teams had a better record, but it's always great talking to you. Well, it's always great, and they have the same record, and it's weird. I listened to you a little bit on the Odyssey app this week, and it sounded like you were talking about the Texans, the problems that the (laughs) Dolphins have had. Well, tell me, what are some of the problems that the Dolphins have had, Joe? Well, the, the biggest disappointment, as you know, is we won 10 games last year and barely missed the playoffs, and everybody was pumped up with the two huge drafts, as you know, and a lot of it because of the Texans and the Laramie Tunsil for two ones and two twos. So we've been loaded down with five ones over two drafts and four second-round picks. So that can really turn things around. So I think people are really excited about maybe some quick development of some of these young guys. Uh, getting Will Fuller, the speedster. Oh, by the way, they played for you guys. Yep. And uh, and it just hasn't worked out. None of the things I just mentioned have worked out for the Miami Dolphins. Um, I call it to be nice here, slow developing two rookie classes. The last two draft classes, very slow developing to be nice. And um, and the second very frustrating part of this whole thing has, has been Will Fuller with a finger is going to miss again this week. Um, and I think everybody thought he'd be back after three games, and this will be his fifth game out. So it's been real frustrating. He had a suspension. He had uh, a game he took off for personal reasons. So we, uh, we barely know Will Fuller at this point. He missed all the camp. Can't make all that up. Yeah, and he would be a big plus for Tua. I know these two teams have been linked to all the trade rumors and everything, but let's talk about the quarterback the Dolphins currently have. How is Tua doing? What does he need to do to develop better, to get better, improve in this league? Hey, Mark, I got to tell you something. Since coming back from his his cracked ribs, um, I got to tell you, I've been impressed. I I really have. Considering 
Um, he doesn't have a very good offensive line at this point. Let's let's be real honest. Can't run block, um, and pass protection's been right there with it. It's been a struggling starting five. A lot of them young guys. A lot of a lot of them, you know, are some of those draft classes I just talked about. The last the last two. So, but I think two has really at times played really well. He's had one or two throws that uh, he'd like to have back in uh, in Jacksonville and then back home against Atlanta. Mm -hmm. But he's made a lot of good throws, and he's gotten a lot better. Um, but the point is, without getting in the whole Deshaun Watson thing that I'm sure you guys are getting tired of, with all that talk and what he has had to put up with over the last two weeks, nobody's talked football. Everybody's asked him um, things around Deshaun Watson, how you feel about the team, obviously interested in Deshaun Watson. What's it tell you? What's it mean? So, so the guys blocked that out and played considering he's dealt with that, I think pretty good football and considering what he's got around him to work with. Yeah, when you look at the performances and some of the throws, Joe, and you're right, having to answer those questions, and is this possible that, hey, he could be a really good quarterback and they could think highly of him or well enough, but Watson is just that good? Is all that possible? Can both things be I true? Think, I think if, if we could cut through what Chris Greer, who talked today, the general manager, talked for the Miami Dolphins, I think that's that's the whole thing. The thing is, without coming right out and saying what you just said, look, it, no matter what two is going to be, we know what Deshaun Watson already is. And he's a young guy. And if he ever gets all these legal problems taken care of and we can get him, of course, this opens it up for a lot of other football teams again. But, um, yeah, I think that's it. But so so because people ask me, so so what's to his motivation knowing this is going on? Well, first of all, he wants to show the whole league that he can be a starting quarterback and a good one. Cause if he's not starting here, like Ryan Tannehill, he wants to go somewhere else and be a starting quarterback. And so if nothing else, this is an audition the rest of, of this year, not only for the Miami dolphins, but if they want to move him and they can get something, by the way, don't be so, don't be too surprised if he's not the starting quarterback again next year till they get this uh, thing figured out. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him back. But he'll be super motivated. People, oh, the poor guy's going through this and that. What's motivating him? He wants to show the league that he can play. There's a lot of teams going to be looking for quarterbacks. Dolphins color commentator, WQAM morning host, and former Miami tight end Joe Rose joining us on Texans Radio here. You mentioned Tannehill. So the Titans are in our division, and Tannehill looks really good. Of course, Derrick Henry is a huge part of that. But what do you make of what Tannehill is doing now? I know it wasn't bone dry there. You had a playoff season with him and some success. But what do you think of what Ryan Tannehill is these days? I think he got with a better team, with better talent around him, starting with a better offensive line. And that guy that was, that was running behind him, Derrick Henry, that I'm convinced about half the league defensively doesn't want to tackle him anyway when he gets running. Um, but, but I think Ryan has really had a chance to shine, got a new contract, got a frontline contract uh, that's really going to set him up. I, I think he was out to prove something. This was more about the Miami Dolphins, their system, and what I was playing with and not about me. And I think he's been able to, to prove that to the National Football League. I think he's a really good quarterback. I don't think he's top elite, but I think he's a really good starting quarterback.
Are you with me that Derrick Henry is probably the MVP of the league last year and maybe this year because, look, you could pick five, six quarterbacks. They're great. All the great quarterbacks are extremely valuable. It's hard to pick the most valuable one. But Henry means more to his team than any other non-quarterback in the NFL. 100%, and I think they're going to find out. I think they're going to find that out. He's almost at 1,000 yards, Mark, already for this year. He's had a 2,000-yard season. Uh, again, I've seen a lot of yapping really good physical defenses, and I'm convinced a lot of guys made business decisions and didn't want to tackle him one-on-one mm. or win no hurry. Either that or he got a lot faster because I'm watching him <laughs> outrun a lot of guys that are giving it the old arm special that don't look like they're really interested. Do I really want to try to tackle that 250-pound guy who can run? All right, Joe, what's happening on defense for the Dolphins? The numbers are not pretty, to say the least, and this is a Texan saying that. The Texans have been struggling in that department as well. They look good through a couple of quarters, maybe two and a half, up to three quarters, but then in the fourth quarter it kind of breaks down. What's been going on with the Dolphins on that side of the football? Um, The run defense has actually gotten a little better. The pass rush is just not good enough. We added – Jalen Phillips, one of those first-round picks when we first started this conversation, not making an impact yet from the University of Miami. Um, needs a lot of work. Um, and so I'm not sure he has a coach that can help him with the work he needs, by the way, uh, with hands and leverage and all the things that great pass rushers need to do. So the pass rush just hasn't been there, and I just have noticed when quarterbacks, all of them, and we have seen Trevor Lawrence recently – we, we, we have seen Matty Ice, who now we've, you know, we, we've seen them all, and, and Josh Allen last week. When those guys have time to throw, they are chewing us up. Mm-hmm. And, and so we blitz. The blitzes haven't always got there on time either. So I think the biggest problem, shockingly, is our secondary has not been as good as I thought it would be. And saying that, when you don't have a pass rush, Anybody, as you know, any starting quarterback in the NFL can chew up a secondary if you can't get there after a while. All right, Joe, I did a bunch of shows with you when I lived in South Florida, but I never got to ask you questions like this. So I'm going to go for it right now. What was it like to play for Coach Shula, the most successful coach in the history of this league? Um, Very intimidating coming right out of Cal Berkeley. I'll start with that. Very intimidating. When I got here, everybody said, hey, Welcome to playing for the toughest coach in the NFL. So that wasn't exactly what I wanted to hear when I got off the plane as a, as a draft pick for the Miami Dolphins. Um, but, man, he, he was just uh, – it was unbelievable because of his track record, because I was aware when I got there and still had a few guys on the undefeated football team I played with. Mm. I got it real quickly that this guy was a frontline, disciplined coach believed in doing things the right way, not making mental mistakes, don't beat yourself. Um, And in the old school of of really tough practices, he had two of them every day. Uh, But but probably the exact and and right coach, uh, being a little wild coming out of Berkeley that I needed to play for that really helped me. And now, and I never thought I was going to be that guy, Mark, but now I do some of the same things he does. And I catch myself as an old guy that's like at events early and get mad when other people aren't early because he just, his biggest pet peeve was if you were late. 
And I mean, yeah. one minute, it was just disrespectful. I don't know if you want to be on this. T- I mean, he, he could, he could in the old school of the NFL, he, uh, he got his point across, by the way, um, he coached and his rules and regulations. I think what stands out to me is the versatility, right? Because you played in that 41-38 overtime to the Chargers when he went to Don Strzok after starting David Woodley. And then you look at the Super Bowl season with Woodley, and then a couple of years later you have Dan Marino going to a Super Bowl with a completely different set of circumstances, offense, everything. The team identity had completely changed, but he doesn't. What about that part of him? Mark, uh, that's a great point. And uh, I I can never get anything by you because I forgot you were down here in South Florida for so long. But you you bring up a great point. So the, the undefeated Miami Dolphins with Mercury Morris, Larry Zonka, and Jim Kick, one of the great running games in the history of the, of the National Football League. I mean, even though they had Paul Warfield on the outside, it was about running the football and pounding you going back to some of those Super Bowls. Um, and then to watch him, actually, when he got Dan Marino, um, it was incredible. To, like, he just he made changes late in his coaching career and said, I got a special player here. Get me Clayton. Mark Clayton, get me Mark Duper, get me players that can catch the ball. He drafted guys. He always made sure Dan Marino had weapons, and he said he gives us a chance, no matter what we have defensively, gives us a chance to win every Sunday when you've got Dan Marino, and they won a lot of football games together, came up short in one Super Bowl. But, um, yeah, I think it was one of the greatest things that Coach Shula did was changing um, his mindset from a run-heavy team to a pass-heavy team um, because for Coach Shula, it wasn't about ego. It was about winning football games. Joe Rose from WQAM in Miami joining us. And, Joe, I know on your show you talk about all football. So last year, Derek King goes to the University of Miami, and they have a pretty good year, and prospects are good for a nice 2021, but not going so hot. Good win last week. What's going on with my Canes? Yeah, the Kings, by the way, De'Ara King, one of the classiest kids. I shouldn't call him a kid. He's not a kid anymore. Young man um, I've ever been around. Incredible. I get why everybody has such great things to say about him. Another injury, though, he's been beaten up, so he's out. Yep. Um, Manny Diaz been on a little bit of a hot seat down here because it wasn't what it was supposed to be. And then in the last couple of weeks, they started to play a lot better. They've got Van Dyke at quarterback, a young quarterback who took over. Um, We could see it right from week one in the second half, and then second half really good in the second game. And then last two weeks has just played like he's been around forever in college football. But I got to tell you, Mark, the the great days of the national championship or losing in a national championship, they're over. I mean, we are way, way behind that. It's about trying to figure out how to win the coastal division in the ACC. When you were here, you got, you were, you were there and you, you got to see some of the greatest teams, by the way, now that we look back, some of the greatest teams in the history of college football and all those guys. And I know you've had some of them like Andre Johnson have been a big part of the Texans. I know they drafted a lot of those guys at one point. I think you had four or five Miami hurricanes uh, on, on the roster, some really good players, so 
you know what it looks like in, in all those first-round picks they had, and now it's Alabama doing most of that. But they got some work. They got to make a decision on the head coach. We'll see how they play the rest of the year now that they're back at 2-2 two and two in the ACC. They've got Georgia Tech this, uh, this Saturday. All right, so you want a great stat from this particular matchup between the Texans and the Dolphins. You look yeah. at Lamar Miller has had huge games for each team against the other, right? Because you had the Dolphins blowing out the Texans in 2015 in South Florida, the only Miami win in this series. And you had, of course, Lamar Miller and the Texans victorious in 2018 against the Dolphins at NRG Stadium. It's it's pretty wow. interesting what Lamar has been able to do. But And you mentioned Andre Johnson. He always had big games against the Dolphins. And I'm really looking forward to going down there. It seems like we play a lot, but it's mostly here. It's only the fourth trip for the Texans to Miami. You know, you're right. And I believe, if, if I'm not mistaken, um, the first year of the Texans, and I may be off on this, did they come down and beat the Miami Dolphins the when they were like a – Second year. and a half point underdog. Second Se- year. Second year opening day, Andre Johnson's debut. And you know this. I mean, that was back when the Dolphins were unbeatable in September at home. You just never lost in the in the Super Bowl era. And for some reason, it's funny because you built the practice bubble and then the record got worse in September at home. I don't know if that has anything <laughs> to do with it, Joe. <laughs> so much for players not getting burned out because of all the heat and yeah. all that uh, that stuff. So much for that. Yeah, I'm not so sure how I feel about those indoor facilities when it's nice out. Yeah, exactly. All right, Joe, thanks so much for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you on Sunday. Mark, I can't wait, man. Hopefully, well, listen, I'm sure it's going to be a really good game. Yes, (laughs) somebody's going to win. That's going to be nice. (laughs) All right, thanks. Thanks, Mark. Okay, I always cringe when I hear that. Somebody's going to win. In the NFL, that's not a guarantee. Now, in college, it is because you'll play, as Illinois and Penn State found out, a million overtimes. Not always the case in the NFL. Could be a tie. Oh, God. Please, not a tie. Just not a tie. All right, we get back. It's a little Wednesday. Where are they now with their good friend Joel Dreesen? Drew Doherty interviewed the former Texans tight end. That'll be next on Texans All Access. Yes. Yes. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris is a big fan of our friends over at Mattress Firm for a number of different reasons. This is a big one, though. Mattress Firm is giving away two tickets, custom jerseys, Tarasco's club passes, and parking to two lucky fans each week. Visit HoustonTexans.com slash DreamBigExperience to enter to win. That's HoustonTexans.com slash DreamBigExperience to enter to win. All right. It's Wednesday. And I love alliteration. So how about a little Wednesday? Where are they now? Yes, Drew Doherty, about twice a week, I think, spent some time with some former Texans. And this week, he had a chance to catch up with a guy that I got to know really well before I became a Texan employee, and that was Joel Dreesen. This is some fun stuff, catching up with Joel Dreesen on a Wednesday. Where are they now? It's great to see you, man. You got this awesome setup here. It's not uh, one of those backgrounds. Where are you these days? What are you doing? You played for the Texans from 2006 through 2011. Before that, you were in, in New York with the Jets. After that, a couple years with the Bronx, back home in your home state of Colorado. But what's going on these days, my friend? Oh, what's going on is I'm, I'm a good Uber driver. To, to my, <laughs> I have a, an 11-year-old son and a 9-year-old daughter, and we are in the thick of things as parents as far as running around to parent-teacher conferences and fundraisers and sports practices and 
pizza parties and things like that. So uh, full-time dad mostly, but we have, uh, we live in Castle Rock, Colorado full-time. Okay. Live on 35 acres here and, and absolutely love it. It was the most beautiful morning here. Truly it was. It's a little, little brisk outside. The leaves are all changing 50 degrees and just sunny and warm. It was, it was really beautiful. Uh, and then we also have a, a, a cattle ranch just east of Amarillo, Texas. So between the two places and young kids, I am, I am plenty busy. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about the kids because a lot of guys from your generation of the Texans are coaching flag football. You know, if you, if you follow people on Instagram, you see Brian Cushing out there with a bunch of, bunch of like nine, 10 year olds and they're a bunch of little uh, my kids. Team was, my team would get smoked by Cushing and Baltimore. <laughs> Seriously, those boys are so fast. I He's not- the defensive coordinator. And Kevin Walter, former Texas wide receiver, is the offensive coordinator. I mean, it's just like these two hulks and a bunch of little kids. It looks hilarious, man. It looks so fun. I'm so, and those were two of my favorite teammates of all time, too. Kevin Walter and Brian Cushing, the fact that they've teamed up and are pouring into the youth and the community. That, how cool is that? It's natural, isn't it? I mean, it's just uh, seeing those, those photos, it just takes you back, man. It's hilarious. Uh, so let's rewind. Let's go all the way back. You grew up in the state of Colorado, all state selection, won a state title. You were awesome. Uh, you go to Colorado State. Congratulations, by the way, are in order. You made their Hall of Fame, their Hall of Honor earlier this season, the Athletic Hall of Honor. You're an all time great Ram. Another one who's also in there, David Anderson. We did this podcast earlier. He tipped it off about that and, and reminded everybody, and he's so proud of you. But Tell me about getting into that Hall of Honor and what that meant to you. I mean, that, that must have been a, the thrill of a lifetime, huh? It, it really was. It was just something that was was not expected. I mean, just with COVID and everything and the whole year that we, they had prior, I didn't even know they were going to have a Hall of Fame ceremony or, or induction this year. And so the athletic director called me up about middle of July and kind of said, hey, we want to induct you into our Hall of Fame this year. I was, I was, I was brought to tears because, I mean, you see it all the time on, on NFL Network when, you know, they, David Baker does the knock on the hotel room door. Like, that, that's a big deal for those guys to, to, to live on forever in the NFL Hall of Fame. That's, that's as cool as it gets, right? And so I always wanted a cool moment like that. Obviously, Canton's not going to be carving out any busts of me anytime soon. But for, for me to be uh, recognized like that by Colorado State, it, it meant a great deal to me because, A, I love Colorado State, okay? B, I, I, I love football. I always loved yeah. football. And, uh, it was very important to me during my time there to, to be good, to, to be better, to, to help them be recognized and, and mostly just play ball, right? And, and I loved it. So uh, just really awesome honor to be associated with them forever. Yeah. And I mean, most of us have a great time in college, whether we're college football players or just regular students. So I, I imagine that kind of plays into it as well. It makes it all the more special that oh, you're true. getting I, honored. I, I tell people this all the time. I tell, I tell people I would trade every dollar I earned in the NFL to go start college over again. <laughs> it was so much fun, really like yeah. living with your teammates and your boys in an off campus house and uh, grinding away, going to school and practice and, and winning ball games. That's there's nothing like it. Nothing like it. Yeah. So you went back, I, I guess you were honored at, a, at halftime of a game and had a whole weekend of it earlier this yeah, year. They, they put me up in a nice hotel in town and took care of my, myself and my family, included us in the game. And uh, yeah, we reckon, got recognized in between, I think, uh, the first and second quarters. It was, a, it was a great CSU event. Let's put it that way. That's cool. That's cool. You know, I, we joked with David Anderson that he was part of the CSU mafia when you were here on the Texans because it was you, it was him, uh, Mike Brizel. 
a few others that were we part were of representing it. nicely. Cecil Sapp was on that squad for a while too. So there was four guys on the active roster of the 53 yeah. that were Colorado State Rams. Myself, Mike Brazell, David Anderson, and Cecil Sapp. That's that's cool. Yeah. And uh, I mean, shoot, it rivaled the Miami Hurricanes uh, almost. And it's kind of like, well, one I can understand, the other's sort of sort of different, but you know, it was cool. Hey, Tell me about hey, Coach Kubiak always said, when in doubt, go with the CSU guy. <laughs> hey, if the talent's neck and neck, choose the CSU guy because he's going to work harder. No doubt. No doubt. Uh, so tell me about draft day, you know, back in 2005. Yep. What's that like for you? I mean, it was back then, it was Saturday, Sunday. You know, what did you think of the pre draft process? Were you like, I'm getting picked? No, no problem. It'll probably be uh, this rounder. Were you kind of wondering what it was going to be like? What, what was your experience? in the run-up to it? And then what was it like on draft day for you? Yeah, great question. Um, I mean, unless you go number one overall, I think you're always kind of disappointed in where you're selected. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's just the way of it. I, I was hoping to be a first-day pick. Like, I was really at the end of the third round. I wanted to be chosen so bad. And the Broncos were selecting. And I was like, oh, this, this could be it. Come on, please, please. And the last pick of the third round, they chose Maurice Claret, the running back out of Ohio State. And right? God bless his heart. Like, he's changed his life around. He's, he's amazing. But if there was ever a player with like a bunch of red flags that says do not draft, I feel like that would have been him. And then <laughs> they didn't choose me. I was like, oh, come on. And so fifth round, then finally at the end of the sixth round, the Jets, who had shown the most kind of pre-draft interest in me, finally called me up and were like, hey, we're going to take you. I think it was 198 overall. Same pick as Tom Brady or 199, one of the two. Oh, wow. Um, and so I was disappointed. I, I, I was hoping to be selected higher, but at that point, it, it don't matter. You got to go make yeah. a squad and go learn how to be a pro and all those things. Um, so it was a little bit, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say bittersweet. You still get drafted. It's an incredible blessing to be drafted. Um, but you always want to go a little higher is all I'm saying. <laughs> you know, it's really interesting. You say that you kind of thought that, uh, or you had had so much contact with them. Cause a lot of times we hear the exact opposite, like this team picked me and I hadn't even spoken with them at all in the whole process. It's, it's kind of, fun to see the, the juxtaposition and I'm talking like first round I'm talking seventh round I mean it, it varies for a lot of guys you know was there any discussion with the Texans back then do you remember in in 05 because oh I get this yeah so the Jets had just called we're going to take you with this next pick and like literally the Texans beep in I'm like hello hey this is the Texans we're going to take you with our seventh round pick I'm like well I think the Jets are going to take me so you might want to trade up and um I think they didn't care at that point. So uh, it would have been, <laughs> it, uh, yeah. It, so I did have some contact with the Texans throughout the draft process. Yeah. And folks, I don't know if folks watching or listening realize, I mean, Texans changed coaches during that, you know, from the time you got drafted to the time you got here. But a lot of times the coaching or the scouting staffs largely remain the same. So there were guys who remembered you and were probably chirping in Kubiak's ear and Rick Smith's ear and, so on and so forth the next year when you come to Houston. But what was it like? Things didn't work out with the Jets, obviously. But how was the process of coming to Houston for you as a free agent? Yeah, well, they wanted me. So a great, a great story. So I played in 14 games my rookie year with the Jets, right? And then the following year, Eric Mangini becomes our head coach. And um, there was a rule back then that if you played in so many games as a rookie – or at any moment, you weren't allowed to be on a practice squad ever again, right? So I had played in too many games. So I obviously got to the end of 06 training camp and Mangini didn't like me and I get cut, right? So I spend the whole 2006 season out of football. 
Um, every Tuesday I'd fly to a different city, go do a workout. Mm. And, you know, teams would kind of tell me the same thing that we love you. You're at the top of our list, but um, you know, we don't have a roster spot for you right now. Okay. So finally I get to the end of the 2006 season and Tampa Bay is going to sign me and put me on their roster the last week of the game or the last week of the season. And then Rick Smith had a conversation with my agent. Hey, don't do that. We'll, uh, we'll give him a signing bonus equivalent to what he would have made, you know, on the roster if he joined, uh, signs a future contract with us. Okay. So I did that. And then the idea was for me to kind of be a long snapper. Kubiak wanted to save a roster spot by having me long snap and potentially be a third tight end, second fullback type thing. Um, but I was convinced I could still play tight end. So I just opened that training camp, just buried on the depth chart at tight end. I think I was fifth on the depth chart at tight end. And um, with the limited reps I got, I tried to, to make as many plays as I could and stand out. And offensive coordinator Mike Sherman at the time loved me. He, he, he thought I was he, he really stood up for me, and I'm, I'm very grateful for him. Um, he helped me make that team and then uh, ended up getting more and more reps at tight end and not so much on the long snapping duties. And uh, then, yeah, finally kind of gaining some traction in the 2007 season where I'm active every week and I have a uniform and I'm contributing on special teams and, you know, getting 20, 30 plays a game on offense and things like that. And uh, it just really, my confidence took off. I, I, I believe that I belonged in the NFL again. And I'm uh, just very grateful for Gary Kubiak and uh, Mike Sherman, those guys believing in me. Um, the process of becoming a Texan, I would say, was very humbling because the NFL booted me out and I didn't know if they wanted me. I didn't know if I was good enough anymore. And so for me to, to morph into a pro and truly find my footing in Houston, uh, that's how it came about. And it means a lot to me. You know, I don't want to make this too dark, but you talk about that that 06 year. How how tough was that emotionally for you, man? Like that I can't imagine you playing 14, 15 games like you meant or 16 almost. What'd you say 14 or 15? 14 games as a rookie, yeah. And then how, and then you go to that, like what was that like for you? And you've been all state. You're all you're hell, you're in the Colorado State Hall of Fame. I mean, you you clearly could play. Right, well, right. But I, I I wasn't good. I wasn't good. I look back at like and watch film of myself as a rookie or watch film you know, in the preseason of 06 and you're like, I, I deserve to get cut. Really? Um, I, I, but I didn't think I deserved to like not be on a roster at all. I, I did not deserve to make that team in New York. I'll admit that I was not good enough yet. Hmm. Um, but that sitting out, I was, that was very humbling. I was like, Oh my gosh, here I kind of had like my life mapped out a little bit. Um, and you know, God has a way of teaching you a lesson over and over and over again until you learn it. And so I just think he wanted me to be patient, a little bit more humble um rededicate my life and, and that's exactly what I did and I went to Houston I uh changed my diet I changed my sleep I changed broke up with my girlfriend I was all in on football like literally that was I would lived at the facility that was the only thing that mattered to me and I just showed up and I did the work and it worked out yeah it's funny you say that about how you dedicated yourself to football because I remember I can't remember what happened I, I maybe it was it was Owen Daniels going down in 09 but we were talking about how you were going to get more reps and we were doing a writing a story about that. And I interviewed David Anderson about it. And David said something along the lines of, I don't worry about Joel at all. Knowing the offense, he probably sleeps on the playbook instead of a pillow just so he can maybe get, get smarter by osmosis at night. Like that's, that's how, how much he noticed your commitment to wanting to get better wanting to improve all the time. Man, we had the best time. Okay. So 2007, 2008, we talked about our, our Colorado State Ram group in uh, 
at Houston, right? So we lived together too. Myself, David Anderson, Mike Brazel. We lived in a townhouse together. And three truly uh, unique personalities, none of them the same because anyways, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> but it's so much fun because it's just like college, except for you're on an NFL roster and you're, you're making NFL money and life is really, really good. And, uh, I mean, those guys would come home and they would see me, you know, sitting there at my desktop with that playbook in front of me because it was a lot, it was a lot to know to, I always say that the tight ends are the second smartest guys on the team after the quarterbacks. We have to know so much. We have to know route concepts, runs, protections, right? Play all the special teams. Yeah. Um, and to me, like, it was just a lot to digest. And then you got to make decisions that quick out on the field. So you, you have to know your stuff inside and out. And if I didn't look at it as much as I did, I, I wouldn't have had a chance. Yeah. And you, you were a big contributor over those years that you were in Houston. What was it like, you know, Seeing in 07, you know, you, you're coming, you come in the same year as Matt Schaub and that, that changed things for the franchise because 07, you hit 500 for the first time. You do it again in 08, 09, you take a bump up and you're winners at nine and seven. And you know, the, the season ends and with the later games, you still have a chance to be in the playoffs. What was it like going from you weren't there when they were losing, but seeing and, 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 watching and being a part of them becoming winners eventually in 11 you go to the playoffs yeah I mean, drew there was nothing that moment when kevin walter catches that game winner in in cincinnati right in 2011 mm -hmm. like I, it's giving me chills thinking about it right now because it was like the world had been lifted off our shoulders had been lifted off that franchise's shoulders that 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 locker room was like Nothing I'd ever been a part of. And I, won, I was on a team that won the AFC Championship. We're going to the Super Bowl. But that locker room, after we won that game in Cincinnati to win the division, and, and we're going to have a winning record, we're going to the playoffs for the first time ever. There was a lot of grown man hugging going on in that locker room. Let me tell you that. And it was, uh, it was just so special to be, to be a part of that because we'd just been hovering right, right around 500. And then 2010, we were, we were 6 and 10, wildly disappointing, right? Um, we are I think we had the worst pass defense in the history of the league that year something mm -hmm. like that yeah but hey you know Mr. McNair he's going to stick with coach Kubiak right we're going to bring in Wade Phillips as our defensive coordinator we're not that far off and and sure enough we had the best season in 2011 we didn't just beat teams we beat the hell out of teams like Cleveland and Tampa all those teams are supposed to beat up we're winning by three four scores like we're supposed to and our defense is forcing turnovers and Brooks Reed and JJ Watt and Cushing are just balling out of their minds it was it was so fun and to for Kevin Walter to catch that pass from TJ Yates uh under those circumstances when we had been losing all the entire game too yeah. right and it, it was uh it was just, that's my all-time favorite Texans moment and to be a part of it for five years and for it to work out that way. It was, uh, obviously it's no Super Bowl, right? But it was a big moment for that franchise. For sure, for sure. And you bring up, uh, they were losing that day. So take the lead with two seconds left and that's the only, you know, you only held, held the lead for the final two seconds. From the final two seconds to when you put your head on the pillow at whatever time it was that night, I mean, that's got to be one of the, the greatest eight, 10 hour stretches ever. Right. Because y'all fly back home. The flight was a party and then yeah. you get, you get, you land and there's all the, there's a few thousand people out in, in Bud Light Plaza. And uh, I mean, you, you must've just been on cloud nine, all of you guys. Right. I was, but I actually had a terrible injury that game. I, when we get done, I'm going to send you this picture of how bruised my leg was. It was nasty. It, uh, so I was in a lot of pain on that flight home, but like you couldn't hide the smiles 
And I remember just the fans greeting us when we landed and at the stadium when we got back. It was uh, it was so cool. So tell me about who are you keeping in touch with still from your days in Houston? Which which guys? Yeah, I keep in touch with Kevin Walter a little bit. Him and I talk. Um, Owen Daniels and myself we 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 talk. Uh, David Anderson, Mike Brazil, Tim Bowman, right? Tim Bowman, I mean, he, you yeah. should you should get him on this. It'll oh, he's be, on the list. Yeah. Okay. He's on the list. Good. You guys would have fun. He, uh, we do some business deals together, and um, still keep in touch with him. Uh, Matt Schaub just went to his retirement party back in back in March. That was really awesome to be around everyone again. Yeah. Uh, Kubiak and I will text every now and then. Um, yeah, a lot of those guys. Well, you uh, you definitely need to come down here and, and see Kubiak because he's set up on a nice uh, nice bit of property up northeast of town, and he's got a ranch and he's got a he's got a cool setup. We went out and visited him uh, a couple months back and had a, had a fun time. What was it like playing in that offense? Because in looking back at the highlights, uh, if you type up like Joel Dreesen highlights, it's you, and you're usually butt naked, wide open. It seemed like <laughs> because that that play action boot like. You were all you always seem to be open. That that was not just unique to you. I mean, you, you saw it with Owen Daniels, you saw it with uh saw it with Andre Johnson, who everybody knew was the best player on the field, and you had to cover the guy. You guys got so wide open. What was it like playing in that offense? Teams teams hated playing us when we were really good like that in you know 09, 10, 11, because everything looked the same. Mm -hmm. and all of our formations, you didn't know if we were running or passing, right? And from the moment the ball was hiked, if you didn't play that play with the right technique, whether it's run or play action pass, you're beat already with the speed we had on the over routes and the commitment it took from the safeties to stop our run game. It, it Coach Kubiak it, and, and Rick Dennison, all those guys on, on the offensive side of the ball did such a good job of making everything look the same, whether it was our outside run, right? Where Arian would stretch, 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 boom, put his foot in the ground and explode through the whole eight, nine, 10 yards. Oh, then now that, then he's a 43 yard touchdown, right? Committing to stop that means that you're not committed to stopping those play action boots, those play action double moves where Andre fakes the over out and then bam, reverses field back to the opposite pylon. You know, so it, it's impossible to stop both if it all looks the same. And, and we got really good at it for a while. So manufacturing guys getting wide open was what Coach Kubiak was specialized in. Sean Pendergast and I used to have Joel Dreesen on with us every other, every third Monday. And he was fantastic. And when the mics would go off, he would show us some of the things that they were doing. It was just awesome. It was just so fun to watch Joel with Owen and then they'd be able to talk with these guys and get to know them a little bit. Great stuff. And I remember he and his wife used to come to the show. When he was doing the show, he'd bring uh, her and her family. And his son, who's now 11, was just a newborn. It was amazing. He's now 11 years old, man. Time has flown. That was great stuff with Joel Dries. So we get back, we'll go around the NFL next right here on Texans All Access. One final segment of this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access, and we kick it off with the Schlumberger Stats Challenge. And the stat is the square root of 144. Yeah, it's 12. I just wanted to see if you guys knew any square roots. 12, which apparently is the number of times that Baker Mayfield didn't throw the ball to Odell Beckham Jr., that Odell Beckham Sr., Pointed out on a video that was put on YouTube yesterday. How about that? 
How about that? And that leads us to a little bit of around the NFL here to close down this show with a little help from our friends from Schlumberger. To take the stats challenge, go to HoustonTexans.com. That video got posted. Now, I don't know if, if OBS, Odell Beckham Sr., who was a fine player in his own right, if he put the video together or if he was just retweeting or liking a video that was already made. But Odell Beckham Jr. is, as was told to a few media members, Mike Silver in particular, he is no longer with the team. Now, the trade deadline passed without OBJ being traded. So the Browns sort of have a couple things that work here. Number one, they can release him, which he, if he's released, he's subject to waivers. So somebody can just pick him up and take on a contract. They want him. I don't know if they want to do that. That contract's pretty rich. Or the Browns can hang on to him, try and fix it. And it sounds like that's what they're going to do in Cleveland, try and fix it. But Baker Mayfield was asked today about it, and he probably handled it about as well as you could. He just said, look, if he's here, great. We'll work it out. If he's not, we got other guys we can rely on. Baker Mayfield, for all of his faults and for all the things that he doesn't do extremely well, tell you what, he handles adversity, especially in the press as well as anybody that I've seen. So the Browns got a little drama going on. OBJ was away from the team. He was excused from practice today. And I'll say this. I don't know if I did a ranking of receivers in the league. I don't know if, if OBJ would make the top 25. Everybody tried to put him again ahead of Hopkins a few years ago, and I was like, forget it. I'll take Hop all day, every day. This guy, what, is he, what has he done other than make one great catch on Sunday Night Football in New York? Uh, I mean, has there anything the last three years? Nothing. Absolutely Zip zero zilch. Adrian Peterson was at practice today with the Tennessee Titans. He will attempt, I would say, to fill the shoes of Derrick Henry, although nobody could really do that. But Deontay Foreman also added, former Texan, former Texas City and University of Texas star. So Adrian Peterson, Deontay Foreman both added to the Titans. We'll see how that plays out. Oh, yeah, the Titans have the Rams at SoFi on Sunday night. Yikes. Man, this league is the best. Aaron Rodgers went on COVID-19. That's not great, but just all the drama that's around it, it's the best reality show there is, my friends. No Mahomes v. Rodgers. That's sad. All right, we got to go, and we got a lot of people to thank. Got to thank Joel Dreesen, Drew Doherty, Joe Rose, Mark Vandermeer, D.P. Sidhu, Marcel Louis-Jacques, all of you guys for listening. You are the very best. We'll see you tomorrow, and as always, go Texans.